service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, at the end of the last episode, you said something that piqued my interest, something that you'd <laughs> that you'd hidden from me. Uh, you you had you had that made I hid a, from you. <laughs> well, I knew for a while that you were sitting on all of these. Uh, all of these Lego kits, these kits uh, purchased with the help of our supporters at the Friends of DeSoto. Uh, this was this was sort of like the thing to make right the destruction of the Millennium Falcon because yeah. as soon as we made that a stretch goal for uh, last year's Max Fun Drive, there was a not insubstantial amount of people who were like, you're not just going to destroy something beautiful and then throw it away, right? Like those pieces are good for stuff well here's the thing uh you can't donate used legos no you could probably donate them to like a goodwill or something yeah like a thrift store would take them but like i something that ben and i care a lot about was was making sure that these went to a children's hospital yeah i care deeply about children's hospitals and the work that they do i was a patient in one for a very long time as a kid so they are they're near and dear to me and so Ben, what did you do to accumulate all of these kits? And then what did you do with them? So, so my idea initially was there's like a very little uh, Millennium Falcon Lego kit. Like a, it's like 60 pieces. Mm-hmm. And I thought that we could kind of maximize the Millennium Falcon love by getting a lot of those. Mm. But I think that that kit has been discontinued because I, I'm pretty sure I bought all of the remaining stock of that that Amazon had. And I followed the prices of these kits on Amazon for a few weeks until uh, I spotted that they had kind of noticeably dipped uh, around around some holiday sale. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but we dropped about a grand on Lego kits and I just got as many Lego Millennium Falcons as I could and then as many other kind of small to medium sized kits as I could because I was going for quantity because I figure a lot of kids probably go through these hospitals and need stuff to do and ways yeah. to entertain themselves. So that's kind of the the great thing about a Lego is that you build it and then you've got it and you can play with it. So I was I was thinking a a huge kit that takes multiple days to put together is probably not an ideal thing for right, for right. that. So uh so so I went for quantity and smaller kits and yeah two huge boxes showed up at my house and That's awesome. Um the way the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles works is they have just like drop off days where a couple of uh volunteers hang out outside the hospital with like a like a tent set up and uh and you schedule a time to come drop them off and wow. uh, and so I, I went down there and, uh, yeah, like I, I basically just had like the entire trunk of my car was full of Lego kits. And, <laughs> uh, you know, when I got out of the car, I think they were imagining that I was going to be dropping off uh, a few things. So they had boxes out front. And when they saw what I had, they were like, oh, come with me. And they, they brought out like 
like a huge laundry hamper, like one of those, uh-huh. yeah. you know, like, that you see in like production. So yeah, so that we could fill them up with these Lego kits, and uh, that must have felt so good. Yeah, like they were they were really thrilled. They uh, they wanted to know like what gives with all these Lego kits, and I was like, oh, you know, my friend and I uh, have a podcast, and we. Uh, we did a fundraising stunt where we broke a huge Lego kit and, uh, we thought this would be a good way to kind of, uh, to spread the love and also to, uh, to give back for, uh, you know, the folks that contribute to our show. And they were like, well, we hope you think of us in the future. This was really tremendous. This is, uh, not, not the typical drop off. So thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, I, um, I I left feeling really great and uh and I you know I hope the I hope those kits are uh you know something that uh, raises the spirits of sick kids. Yeah, I hope so too, man. Uh when I was little, I was in a children's hospital for a long time and like one of the things that you really crave is your own thing. Your yeah. own thing to play with because so much of it is shared and so like all these little kits I I know are going to be a really big deal to a lot of the people there. One of the things that I do when I can is uh, like I don't go through a lot of video game systems. Right. But when I was a patient, there were very few of them in the hospital that I was in and you had to like schedule them very far out for the hours that you could use them. Oh, wow. And what I have done over the years is every time... Every time I I think to buy a new game system, which isn't often, again, I will just take my old game system and all of the games for that system to a children's hospital. Man, that's the way to do it. And donate that because that's so many hours of something to do for a sick kid. And uh, I don't know. I just think that's the right thing to do with it. Like, I'm not going to take it to a GameStop and get 30 bucks for the trade-in value. Like, I'm going to... I'm going to take you to a hospital and, and it's going to get used and loved. So Yeah. When I was about 13 or 14, I had a, uh, like a fairly major abdominal surgery and, uh, my best bud had a Nintendo 64 and mm-hmm. he brought over the Ocarina of Time yeah. Zelda game. And, you know, I had like a, a two week recovery where like just moving around was really painful for me. So yeah. He just brought that over and like for days and days we played that game together and that was a really that's a really like cherished memory for me. Uh like I don't remember how painful it was. I remember how much fun I had with my friend playing that game. So recovery can feel like it takes so long, but in the way that like sitting down to play a game like Jazz Horse is a time machine like where the hours just drain away from a day like those that's what you want to have happen when you're in the hospital or recovering from something so like the gift of a video game or a thing to put together like a lego kit i think is uh is really perfect yeah and when we came up with the idea of destroy the falcon we uh we looked into like okay once we smash this thing what do we do with the legos and and the idea of donating them was in in our heads but um yeah they had like Hospitals cannot take un- unwrapped used toys for the yeah, reason makes of, sense. of uh, you know, like they, they can't be sure that these things don't have vectors on them. Right. So that, you know, on 
on behalf of their patients and protecting their safety if they're especially if they're immunocompromised like they just want like brand new kits and legos are always something that they're looking for so hilariously um, when we dropped the millennium falcon every last <laughs> brick was taken by an audience member so there would have been nothing to give anyway we dropped it off the stage at our uh, los angeles live show this past year and yeah, we we kind of I think you both you and I both were like, okay, well at the end of the night like it's going to be the two of us squatting on the floor of this of this venue like picking up little bits of Lego and that was not the problem. Like people took all of the Legos and uh, we signed a bunch of the pieces like like some of the chunks kind of stayed together and people came through the the meet and greet line. After when we the loaded show. into the venue, we were fully expecting to flinch at the confetti deposit that we'd have to pay <laughs> to to do something like that in a venue because that's not unheard of like when you make a mess in a room during a performance like right you're on the hook for that yeah okay a, a lot of the shows that we do we have to like sign something that says we won't use a fog machine or whatever like they and many of them don't want us to give out stickers either for right. that reason yeah and uh the venue in la was super cool about us just yeah, like they were weird. fans of, like they, <laughs> they were geeking out over the kit and talking to us about it. It was like, that was a fun show. Yeah. They were good people. I really can't wait for people to see that video. I don't, I don't know if it will be out by the time this episode is out, but we have all the, all the parts shot now. So we just yeah. need to get it edited. Well, uh, shot and edited both is the episode we're here to talk about today, Ben. <laughs> and it's a good thing. It's a good thing season five of episode 20... <laughs> It's a good thing episode 21 of season five uh, was complete when we watched it. I think that's the way its director, LeVar Burton, would have wanted it. It's Soldiers of the Empire. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Martok is back on his bullshit. He was throwing guys off the second story of the promenade in the last episode, but we didn't even get to see him. This episode is in the infirmary with a stab wound that uh, he claims was inflicted during some, uh, he was like cross-training in the hollow suites. Another three centimeters to the right and you would have severed your brachial artery. Yeah, I thought maybe the guy he tried to throw over the railing stabbed him in the process. Yeah. Because then you could understand, it's like a, it's like a throw off the railing by self-defense. Yeah. I would love to see the medical scene where, you know, those weird scissors that they have in hospitals to like cut your shirt off so that they can get at a wound. Uh-huh. That like the kind of like offset scissors with the like weird little tab at the bottom of the blade so that it doesn't accidentally stab you. Right. How would that cope with Klingon armor? I don't know. You get a lot of flavors of that armor in this ep too. Yeah. A lot to think about. Bashir is pissed off that Martok is uh, is training in such a way that he would uh, sustain an injury like this. And Martok kind of rolls his eyes at Bashir because one of Bashir's primary concerns is all of the blood getting into the carpet of the infirmary. Your observation is noted. I'd never really thought about what the floor service in the infirmary was, but the Cardassians are idiots. Yeah, it's a really bad move. It's like, do you ever... Have you ever visited someone's house and they've had a carpeted bathroom? Oh, so foul. It's it's really fucked up. Like, 
Clinics should have floor drains. I feel like that, like old ladies choose the carpeted bathroom. Yeah. Because old ladies don't know what mayhem the rest of us are, like, especially younger men are inflicting on the floors of bathrooms. Yeah, you know, to your point, I will say every instance where I've encountered a carpeted bathroom has been in the home of an old lady. So that's how it is. Yeah. Old ladies don't have aim issues. (laughs) Old men do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's not... Think of every hospital you've ever been in also. Yeah. Or you, or clinic. Like there's no that's a carpet free environment. Yeah. The carpet is is gotta be just teeming with the most heinous bacteria in that infirmary on Deep Space Nine. Two like, things you don't get in a Cardassian infirmary, carpet or drapes. <laughs> is it, isn't it, is there an episode of Deep Space Nine that's like the outbreak or the contagion episode? Mataba is only spread through direct human contact. Now, you said that yourself, Sam. I know what I told you, but now I'm telling you we're facing a new strain. I love a disease outbreak film, and I feel like if Star Trek is a place, the one about the crazy super virus that that started on Deep Space Nine because it's such a place of cross-pollination between different alien cultures... That would be interesting. I bet. I mean, is this too obvious to think that the reason that every set is carpeted in Star Trek is because of diegetic sound? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be it, right? It it deadens the space and it makes it a lot easier for like when you're a boom op, you have a choice of having the the microphone being below the frame or above the frame. And Mm -hmm. like you sit, you typically think of the boom op as having the microphone above the frame and- more often than uh, anything else, the reason for that is uh, not for the boom ops comfort, but because if you have a directional microphone below the frame pointing up, it's very likely to be pointing at a an air vent and getting yeah. that sound also. So, <laughs> or a light fixture with a with a subtle buzz to it. Any number of things are happening up above. Yeah. So having the mic be up above and pointed down. And presumably at carpet, uh, just beyond the mouths of the actors you're trying to make is is the ideal configuration. Every non-floor surface is also sound reflective in Star Trek too. Like nothing is, yeah, nothing is acoustically. <laughs> like there's no sound deadening, and I, you know what, I'm gonna walk that back. The uh, the transporter room set on the Enterprise D oh, had yeah. acoustic tile on it, right? It did yeah, it had it had a lot of texture in it. Yeah, that's what you need, but that's, that explains the carpet. That's why O'Brien's got three smash hit R&B albums. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Martok is, is sent away with that with that stern suggestion by Bashir, but you know he's not going to listen. Yeah, he heads right to Commander Worf, who is uh, working with Cadet Nog on something on the Little D, which I feel like we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, I agree. If you're going to get a big and a little doing automobile maintenance, Worf is too big to be under that panel. That's not it. Bring me the hydro spanner. Nog could be just sitting on the ground instead of lying on his back. Yeah, it seems like uh, it might be better for Worf and his body if he were if he were giving the orders and handing the wrenches. Boy, Aaron Eisenberg is a really little guy. Like yeah. compared to Michael Dorn and J.G. Hertzler, he is 
comically small in this scene. And I don't feel like Well, look Michael at the Dorn... way it's shot too. Like it's also shot at his height. Yeah. So it, it really emphasizes the height disparity between the actors. Yeah. And this is played for comedy because Nog is kind of caught between Martok and Worf as they discuss the the injury that Martok has sustained. Uh, we find out that it was actually inflicted by Worf and Nog is uh uh, awkwardly trying to extricate himself from the conversation, which is how I feel in almost every conversation I've ever been in. Could I just slip by? <laughs> Does everything just have to be a fucking conflict with Klingons? <laughs> like, let Nog leave the room, Martok. <laughs> like, if this were on a Klingon ship, would Nog have had to kill Martok to just, like, leave and go to the bathroom? Give me a break. Yeah. They love their conflict. Yeah. Martok is psyched because after a time of just throwing people off of railings at Deep Space Nine and cooling his jets, there has been word of a missing ship and a mission that's been given to him to find it. The High Council's given him command and a crew, and the mission is to go find this thing, and he wants Worf to be his XO. Yeah, it's a, uh, we're going to get our own ship and we're going to go do a mission as long as you can get permission from your boss kind of op- episode open. Yeah, yeah, complete with Wharf Eyes to Theme, which is a classic, classic throw to theme by this show and TNG. Yeah, like a comfortable old pair of shoes. It is very much a, I would love to have a sleepover, but I need to ask dad first. Shar Shar, Dagsicles. Would it be okay if, if Amy stayed over at my house tonight? Kind of situation because we do cut to Cisco's and after like Worf's doing that thing where he's over explaining the the thing he's interested in doing in order to get permission. And again, like this two episodes in a row where Cisco just does not care about his crew or anything they're going through at all. He almost cuts him off and is like, fine, just go. I'm trying yeah. to read. Like he open like the, the scene opens with Cisco going like, yeah, I'm going to say yes about this. Uh, yeah. But I'm curious like why why you're interested. When you get a yes, you can talk your way back into no from the person you need permission of. So it's best to just shut up after you get the yes. Yeah. Worf manages to stay in yes territory despite getting way too wordy. Yeah. And what he describes is when they were all in that uh, on that asteroid in the custody of the Jem'Hadar and Worf was uh, was fighting Jem'Hadar all day, every day. Uh, he, he got to a point where he was ready to give up, ready to let them, let them end him, uh, honorably. And, uh, and he had this moment with Martok where they, they kind of wordlessly connected. I think he calls it Tova Doc. It was a moment of Tova Doc. Of what? This is something that happens between warriors on the battlefield. It's like uh, like Legolas and Gimli catching each other's eyes across across the battlefield. Legolas! It's like the Robert Redford meme where he's like nodding at you <laughs> and the camera's racking in. <laughs> Is that Robert Redford with the with the yeah. huge beard? Yeah. Isn't it not? What? I just thought it was some red-haired man. Yeah, that's Robert Redford. What movie is that? It's Jeremiah Johnson. Wow. Here you go, Ben. I never had any idea that that was Robert Redford. Yeah. It is indeed. So 
<laughs> so uh, what Worf is describing is Martok Jeremiah Johnsoning him. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a warrior's heart transplant, yeah. right? Like because he because he fe- he feels his health meter restored thanks yeah. to this glance, and Cisco dismisses him with uh, detached leave. Yeah. He's kind of tired of hearing any more about this. It's a bit like what happened to Riker with the Pach, right? He's like, he, he's now remanded into the into the uh, Klingon military. They exchange Kaplas. And uh, I, I kind of felt like Worf was like anglicizing his Kapla. 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 Oh, shit, dude. I thought the same thing. Like he's kind of he's kind of code switching for Cisco. Cisco's like, Lahayam. <laughs> it's like when I go to a, a holiday thing at my in-law's house and I go around saying, good yontif to everyone. It's so touristy and bad. It's one of the things that Star Trek doesn't do well when it introduces cultures and has them commingle. Yeah. For whatever reason, that part doesn't work. I know it's meant to be seen as a... You know, a friendly, a friendly greeting, and and do a conversation in situations like this, right? But it just comes off as very condescending. Yeah, paternalistic. Yeah, I, it would be one thing if Worf did it first, right? I think that's the diff. Yeah, I I mean, it made me think a lot about the the way the Klingon language is is spoken on Discovery. Yeah. And the way it's sort of spoken in its own accent. Yeah, I mean, we laugh about it, but that's actually the way it should be. I mean, I think that it's like like our laughing about it is because it's it's weird and new, but like like in in this scene for some reason it like smashed into focus that that's actually like how it would be in yeah. in reality, like if if this was actually a real thing, but it's not. It's a TV show. Right. Golden cut. The cut. So we get a little scene in Corks. It's kind of a weird after-work hang where Kira is telling O'Brien and and Doctor Bashir and Dax about like how how the duty roster is going to work in the absence of Worf. And I kind of wished that this scene was about like, hey, uh, uh, Worf's not going to be here, so we're all going to have to pick up the slack. And everybody's like, what slack? <laughs> the guy st- guy stays on the Defiant all the time. Like, what does he do? Like, does he even have a job around here? <laughs> it becomes more about who's going to stay on the Defiant now. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Like, this happens all the time in an office, and it's unfortunate. Like, it's part of the pressure that a person feels not to take a vacation or call in sick is the perception of being weak or uh, or or not not doing your uh, your duty as an employee because this shit rolls downhill. Yeah, you're not going to be considered for all the same promotions if you're if you're out of the office some of the time. It's the it's one of the ways the culture of work especially in the US kind of enforces an unhealthy way for your job to take over your life. You do get a laundry list of things that Worf does here that are of a complete surprise to you and me, but do not surprise Dax Bashir and O'Brien as these tasks are being doled out. Doing intelligence is going to be part of part of the part of the deal. Yeah, that that for some reason goes to Doctor Bashir, and everybody laughs at the idea of him being intelligent, which I thought was fun. 
I thought for sure someone else would end up working with Nog on the ship to finish the repairs, and the, and the B or C story would be having to do with that. Right, like, which seems like a natural O'Brien thing, right? Yeah, yeah. There's also some discussion of what life is going to be like for Worf on this ship, and the the fact that you know the way it works on a a Klingon bird of prey is that everybody's kind of gunning for the job of the person right above them. Right, and Worf will be in some peril if uh, if he's the first officer of that ship. Worf isn't exactly taking a luxury cruise. Adam, I'm going to have my fourth banana bread beer. That just sounds like too much. That's too much. <laughs> well, last uh, last episode, I drank three of them because it was a Quirks Bar episode, and we came back, and I I realized that there was an entire beer left in my in my little cooler I have next to my desk. So, I mean, come on. As they're talking at Quarks, uh, a couple of quote unquote tough looking Klingons walk through the door and this is this is difficult because uh, <laughs> these guys are not who they are describing. Well, I'd say those two definitely fall into the strong category. They immediately like recoil in a kind of uh, check out these badasses kind of way. <laughs> but other than the sleeveless warrior costume that one of them is wearing these guys do not read as tough to me this might just be a casting thing but um but yeah you gotta cast brian thompson as one of these guys right yeah that would have that would have helped it but i feel like we've seen him as a klingon enough times that it would be like is is that that guy we know who's got the biggest arms in star trek Ooh. shit I feel like there is the perfect answer to this question, but I can't come up with it in the moment. There's an episode of Voyager with the rock in it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but uh, that we've seen up until now? Yeah, I don't know. Probably some of the dojo aliens that Worf works out with, right? (laughs) Those guys are pretty stacked. Yeah. Odo, Mr. Bunker, follows these guys in, and they're like, "Uh, so uh, are you on to these guys? Are they up to no good? And he's... He basically says, like he's 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 keeping an eye on them because they appear to be loitering with intent, but uh, they haven't done anything yet. But uh, he also cites the fact that one of them was wearing a necklace made out of Cardassian neck bones, and uh, immediately Kira walks over to the table that the two Klingons have sat down at, and she says, uh, "Hey, uh, where'd you get that necklace? I've actually been looking for one of those." <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a there's a Pandora store on the promenade that uh, could really do a, a good bit of business selling yeah. those. <laughs> That's something I always admire about my wife. If she sees somebody wearing something that she thinks is good, she'll she'll just ask about it. That's nice. Like if I see somebody wearing a garment that I I find impressive, I just I just turn in on myself and I go like, ah, I wish I knew where I could get something like that, you know. Yeah, I was the same way with my with my favorite sneaker. Saw people wearing them, never asked what they were. Finally, just happened upon them. Wow! Got lucky. Yeah, yeah. You know, it looks like a Cardassian would have neck bones to spare, as if they would survive the thing that removed them. They probably have four or five neck bones that they could lose before actually dying, right? Oh shit! Yeah, because they like. That was one thing that was kind of 
confusing to me is that the things on his necklace are kind of like long and thin. Mm-hmm. Are you suggesting that the neck, that when he says neck bones, there's some kind of bone that's in those trap things on Cardassians? No, it, just in my estimation, Cardassian necks are so long and and Merton Hanks-like that uh, <laughs> that you could remove the uh, the vertebrae from them and several yeah. of them yeah and uh, and the patient lives probably what? oh so, so these these were uh, these were donor uh, neck bones on yeah. this necklace that's what I'm saying oh wow yeah yeah you know a Klingon would ask permission first yeah Klingons are very honorable though <laughs> yeah. So it's not long after this that Worf and Dax are walking down the hallway and it's kind of one of those like, oh, uh, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to say goodbye. I, I don't want goodbye to take too long. And Dax keeps walking with him. They go through the airlock onto the Klingon bird of prey and Worf turns around. He's like, you really can't follow me onto this ship. Like, I got to go do this mission now. And she says, oh, I'm actually going to do the mission too. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, she sure picks her spots, doesn't she? Yeah. Sometimes Worf will get uh, called out on a mission, and she'll just go to his condo to uh, <laughs> to yell at him. Other times, she'll just come along. Yeah. You never know. She makes the case that this is going to be a real shit mission. Like she sees, she sees what this episode's going to be before anyone. Yeah. And. She wants to kind of watch his back, I think, partly, but partly also just wants to wants to go like do some fun Klingon shit. I think. Why did you not tell me? It's more fun this way. Yeah, the stakes don't raise for her until much later. Right. She is she is very much a tourist at this point. Yeah, and she's kind of she's kind of wayuning through the episode in a lot of ways. She's like having mm. fun and just like it doesn't really that matter that much what yeah. happens one way or the other. Right. But yeah, she's going to be the science officer on this vessel that Martok is in command of and Worf is XOing. One of the first people that Dax meets on the Rotoran is Tavana, and she's the engineering officer. Uh, she makes it pretty clear that this is a crew that uh, has a pretty bad win-loss record as it comes to being out in the universe. The morale is pretty low. Yeah. And we've known that Curzon was a super famous non-Klingon person to Klingons, but this is like the first thing that comes up between her and Tavana. Like, <laughs> yeah, Tavana's like, uh, you know, what was it her dad or her mom that, oh yeah, Tavana's like, yeah, my mom knew Curzon Dax and uh, my mom was a huge slut. And Dax <laughs> is like, Curzon Dax was also a huge slut. And then they <laughs> kind of high five. Yeah. Hey. Fucking right. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, feels great. <laughs> yeah, love love doing it as many people as possible. <laughs> sure, hope those two wore rubbers. Anyways, anyway, morale here is pretty low. Yeah, maybe we should do more fucking. <laughs> Couple of nice looking ladies like us, all these handsome gentlemen around. Why don't we? Yeah. Uh, why don't we get down to a little bit more fucking? Yeah. How about fewer bone necklaces and more boning? <laughs> yeah? Yes. <laughs> you fucking nailed that. 
<laughs> I uh, I landed on on the pad, you know, like like behind the pommel horse, and my and I'm kind of wobbling a little bit, <laughs> yeah. wobbling into one of these things. Technically, you landed it though. Yeah. <laughs> To be quite honest about it, I was in a pair. I'm in a pair. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my state. Oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. Worf comes comes in and uh, is extremely officious in that in that way that he gets when he's doing some Klingon stuff. Yeah, he really looks like a guy who wants to fuck with a thermostat on the ship the yeah. way that he did on Risa. There's sort of the orthodoxy of Klingonness that Worf has read a lot about, but you never see other Klingons participating in, really. Yeah. Like, you can see that they all were raised like that, but he's the only one still acting like that. He loves it, though. Like, he, he, fucking he loves relishes it. this shit. But at the same time, like, his time. He can't help but think about the time he headed that guy on the soccer field and, and decapitated him, right? <laughs> I can't be far from his mind. <laughs> he headed the guy and the, head, the guy's head flew off. <laughs> That's how you interpreted that story, right? <laughs> Just... Yeah. <laughs> no, like it, he fucking smashed it and it, and it oh. flew right off his head. Yeah, I was pic- yeah, I was picturing I was picturing head separated at the neck. Yeah. Yep. And what's crazy is both the soccer ball and the head went into the goal, won the match. Goal! One of these guys that we're told is the is one of the tough Klingons, the guy the the sleeveless guy. Yeah. Is uh is the weapons officer. And he's made to bring the record of honor, the like all the battles that this ship has gone through for for Worf to look over. You could say he's the ship's DJ and he needs to uh, play the record of honor. DJ, please your phone on the request line. He's doing that thing where he's got one earphone over his ear and Worf passes him a record. And he looks at the he looks at the label and gives gives a silent nod like, yeah, I'm gonna put that on. <laughs> yeah, except it's a record that everyone hates. Yeah, it clears the dance floor, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also it's like brought over. It's air supply. Yeah. <laughs> it's also brought over on what looks like an iPad in like a bumper case that you would give a kid you know or an old yeah like the ipad case that's like way more built up than a normal ipad case right this is for somebody who's definitely going to drop it yep yeah it's not great news it's uh this is a this is a ship that is deeply in the doldrums in terms of not having any recent victories to speak of no victories in the last seven months and the crew is not feeling great about themselves this episode has got such office space vibes to me. And by that, I don't mean the movie. I just mean the place. Like, mm. I think everyone has known a person like Slouchy Helmsman who, like, <laughs> sighs before turning his office chair around to answer a question. If you're looking for victories, you won't find any. <laughs> like, these attitudes feel so grounded in reality. This is not a Klingon problem. It's just a team of people problem. What, what would you say? You do here. Yeah, it, it's a workplace vibe that uh, is a workplace of failure. 
Yeah. What you want to do to to build esprit de corps in in any workplace is you want to start singing karaoke as soon as possible. <laughs> and uh, when the Warriors anthem is cued, no one's heart is in it. You know, Ben, and that's a bad sign. Klingons love to sing songs about how they won't take a dump without a plan. Uh-huh. We make plans, <laughs> and then we take dumps. This is a thing that Worf tries to get going, and I think about 50% of the Klingon officers are willing to sing along with this song. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. You know what the problem is, Ben? You can't sing karaoke without blood wine. Hmm. Everyone's stone cold sober, right? Yeah. And nobody in the leadership team of Martok and Worf thought to remedy that situation. Yeah. Crucially. Yeah. Because we find out later that there are three barrels of blood wine aboard, but they were brought aboard by Dax. Three barrels. She brings the party. She knows what's up. She knows how to get down with Klingons. Yeah. She has dinner with them and she's complaining about the food, but uh, but saying that the blood wine will really improve it. And uh, and that really, that really brightens the spirits. And this scene is cross-cut with a... A Captain Exo conference where Martok is, uh, for the first time, looking over this record of battle and finding that the the crew that he has been given is pretty shitty. These personnel reports read like prison records. And I wondered what was going on at the Klingon High Council when they... Like, wasn't Martok the top general before he was imprisoned on the asteroid? Yeah, I thought so. Why give him this garbage ship with a bunch of incompetent crew people for this mission? Like what's the what's the what's the gambit? I don't know. It seems mean. Yeah. I mean, I know that Klingons are mean to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't survive long in this culture. <laughs> Oh, you hurt my feelings. I'm going to feel bad about myself for the next three days. Do they ever make much of the thing that Dax knows more about Klingon culture than Worf? Like, is that ever really leaned into as a conflict between them? Like, that's part of the attraction, and I get that, and I like that. But this whole uh, Curzon-Dax thing, like, Curzon seems like he's more of an expert than Worf, and that... Reads like I'm ready to yeah. believe that. I think that they've said in the past that through her memories of Curzon, Dax technically spent more time with Klingons than Worf. She never does that thing that goes like, "I'm surprised you'd know that," <laughs> and that's good. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, she is not. She's not Klingon hipster. Yeah, she, she's not like I. I actually. <laughs> I saw the Klingons when they were playing like little like forty person clubs, and I saw Klingons you know, back in Star Trek Three. All right, yeah. Now the Klingons are playing stadiums. I mean, like it's cool that other people are kind of getting hip to this, but I kind of, you know, I I used to be on a much more intimate terms with the Klingons. This conversation between Worf and Martok has to do with this mood of the ship and why it's so bad. They expect defeat, and that is dangerous. And the thing is, they agree that getting a W would go a long, long way. Like, getting drunk, one. <laughs> and B, getting a victory would be would be awesome. But Martok doesn't think that the crew is ready for any kind of battle. 
they're at an impasse, Ben. They're at yeah. Klingonger heads. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. The question that the episode sort of poses at some point is whether Martok is scared or if he's up to something. Right. Because they keep coming to these points where, like, they could do the dangerous adventure thing that your average Klingon would always pick or do the kind of prudent Starfleet kind of thing. Like, are we going to go through this nebula that might be full of ticks? Are we going to go around it and add a day to our journey? Going to go around it. Like, every time Martok is given a chance to engage in adventure, he kind of steers the ship away from it. And it, for a long time in this episode, feels like he has acknowledged this crew could really use like an easy W, just like like this this tick doesn't even know we're here. We're weapons hot. We could just take it out really quickly and make everybody feel like, all right, we're like we're not total losers. And he does he he keeps not doing that thing in a way that feels like the episode is sort of leading up to Martok is playing chess to everybody else's checkers. Yeah, it really inflates the tension throughout the ep. And it's an interesting thing to do to to pre-establish what the goal of a character should be and then have the character act in contravention of their stated goal without giving yeah. a reason. Yeah, I really liked it. But not to skip to the end, but I think I think you need to pay it off in such a way that that is satisfying. Like Right. And we can we can save that part of the conversation for later but when you're spending 40 minutes of an episode being like oh this guy's playing chess and it turns out he really was playing checkers the whole time that's not right. great yeah. for a character <laughs> you know yeah the shit's chess it ain't checkers the counterpoint to martok is interesting in his own right it's lesquet the uh, the guy with the neckbone necklace and he is also kind of a coward, I think. Like, like Martok's cowardice is learned through the trauma of having been on the Jem'Hadar prison planet. And Lesquet is kind of uh, set up to be, you know, like he's so far under that he, he and Martok never have a conflict. But like every time he and Dax are in a room, they're at odds and he's a a total shit to Dax. The bad look for Lisquette is assuming that Dax got in her position by sleeping her way there. Like it's a like the sexual politics of their argument are are pretty foul. On this trip my bed is as empty as yours, Lisquette. Except mine is empty by choice. <laughs> and Lisquette is is He's like so defeated and so he has such a, a profound inferiority complex that he is sort of projecting his own cowardice onto Martok. And the conflict that the episode is setting up at this point is like, does the shoe fit? Is Martok actually the coward that he seems to be? 
as we go around the room in this mess hall, like the blood wine is flowing and the tongues are loosening and you get a little scene with Corn in here, the sleeveless warrior, and he's he's the guy who believes they're all cursed. There seems to be this type of character in a lot of submarine films and mm-hmm. like in Jaws and stuff. Like there's the guy that yeah. that that knows they're all going to die and nothing's going to convince him otherwise, that they're just a bad luck ship. I wish the Navy let people grow great big braided beards uh-huh. so that you could just see when somebody was the guy that thinks everyone's cursed. You know that that Captain Lou Albano beard is crunchy, right? Make sure it's not lumpy. You just know it. It's been <laughs> yeah. in too much gawk. You see what I mean? You still got lumps in it. It's probably got two gawks in it. That's so nasty. You got to have sanitary conditions. It is really nuts for a people that love gawk as much as these as these guys do to have the long hair and the long beards that Klingons almost always have. I thought for sure that Worf would uh, would take his hair tie out and shake it out a little bit on this mission. Yeah, he looks good Worf's, when he lets his hair down. Worf's keeping it keeping it tight. Yeah. So yeah, they come across a tick, and it's kind of a target of opportunity. It's kind of a perfect, uh, you know, kill with no consequences. And instead of doing that, Martok chooses to stay cloaked and continue on their course to look for this missing ship. Yeah, it's a real perfect situation. And this is uh, really starting to grind Worf's gears. And as he's sitting there stewing about it, Dax calls him over and they have like one of those hushed, like they're just in Dax's cubicle in the office conversations, Uh but they don't want everybody else to hear. Yeah. And she's saying like, if you don't, if you don't start like engaging in some of these b- little battles and getting these easy victories, this crew is never going to work together. And, uh, and Worf is like, listen, I know we have a, like an inappropriate workplace relationship, but like, you can't just talk, talk this shit to me right now. <laughs> It'd be funny if Dax were doing all of this wordlessly, like she's trying to Tova doke him and he's just not, <laughs> He's not making eye contact or doing it right. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Like what Dax is saying is like, you're still thinking like a Federation officer. Like you don't have to prescribe to those rules of engagement. Like it was fine to shoot that tick and you should have. And by not doing that, uh, you're putting your own life in danger because because the way things work around here is a subordinate has a right to kill you if you fuck things up. And that is one fuck up down. Yeah. This all turns into just infighting among the crew. Um, Lisquette goes on a rant drunkenly in the mess hall about how the Jem'Hadar are way better, stronger, and smarter than Klingons because they have no honor. He's saying like, like, you know, like we, you know, we have we have honorable battles with Cardassians because Cardassians fight for a reason, and the Jem'Hadar just fight because they're programmed that way. And that actually makes them a much stronger enemy than us. He kind of Hudson's through this scene, right? This is the breakdown. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. And uh, and that turns into a mess hall brawl. That Dax walks away from and encounters Worf in the hallway. She's like phasered to break the fight up and... Worf catches her and he's like, what's going on? Like, it seems like, uh, it seems like you're really upset. And she's like, yeah, like the crew is about to like 
kill each other over the fact that they have not gotten a win yet. And uh, I think you really need to look at that as a serious issue. I wonder to what degree a phaser is frowned upon on a Klingon ship, which is known for like melee weapons, if you were to challenge (laughs) someone, right? I bet that's not a good look. Yeah, like setting anything to stun on a Klingon ship is is probably looked down upon. Yeah. Dax is pissed at Worf because she's arguing that like these soldiers are coming apart at the seams because there's a leadership vacuum. Like Martok doesn't seem to give a shit about their morale or or anything. And like it's interesting because like they have like all anyone has talked about since they got on this ship has been the morale issue and the fact that these guys need a win. Mm-hmm. including Martok. Like, Martok is, like, really worried at the beginning of this episode about how many losses these guys have and what, what a bad service record the ship has as a whole. And it's weird, right? Because we know contextually, and so does Worf, that Dax is talking about Martok, but she's also talking about Worf. Yeah. When she talks about this leadership vacuum. And it's all really tough. Like, all these bonds are tough to break because, like, Worf and Martok's trust in each other comes from their time in POW camp. Like, like they, like their bond is, like, really deep and in, in a way that is, is hard to argue against. It's so deep that you would imagine at some point there would ever be a conversation between Dax and Martok. Isn't it interesting yeah. That that Dax prescribes to that very clear chain of command going on on this ship, where she right. only has the right to talk to Worf. It is interesting, and I think that that's like something I don't often think about with Dax is that she's a she's in a chain of command herself. Like she is just as much a military minded person as anyone. I wish this episode put her to a choice between Martok and Worf in this way. Right. Like if death is really on the line, if they really are in danger of either a mutiny on the ship or being destroyed by the Jem'Hadar, like that's a moment that I would be really interested in in seeing. Like who does she go to? Is it Worf or is it Martok if if the rubber really hit the road? Yeah. We don't we don't know and this episode doesn't tell us. I think but this episode suggests it would be Worf. I think that's a great point. And like mutiny is very much an impending issue. Um, Tavana comes up to Dax at one point and is like, hey, when it pops off, like <laughs> stick stick with me. I'll make yeah, sure like, that they don't kill you. Hands her the sharpened toothbrush that she's kept under her bunk. Like, yeah. They are, they are going to be prison riot buddies. I would have really loved to see the ship turn into full-on mutiny, like every man for himself combat, and have Tavana toss Dax a batleth and be extremely gratified to see that Dax really knows what she's doing with a batleth. There are many similarities be- between a Klingon ship and jail. They don't shy away from those. To see the ship descend into a full bro- into a full blown prison riot, I think, would be very satisfying. Yeah. In, uh, instead, we just have to watch them gamble over packs of mackerel. <laughs> yeah. Morn, morn, morn. Dear, sweet, morn, morn, morn. You need everybody? Morn, stop. Hammer time. Cornyn gets to return to duty, and he does that thing where, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like, 
like when a when a pitcher hits a batter in baseball, there's like there's that thing where is is there going to be retaliation? Yeah, is the other team going to hit one of the other team's batters? <laughs> And like when Cornyn gets back on the bridge, he walks right at Lescott before he is convinced to turn around and go back to his station. Station! And they find the ship that they're looking for. It's a D7. Yeah, and it's been pretty badly fucked up. And it's been drifting for a long time. The problem is it has drifted itself into Cardassian space. Over the line! So it complicates the situation for Martok, but for no one else. A very un Hadar kill, right? Yeah. Like, like Martok is really worried that this is a trap, that there are five Jem'Hadar ships just waiting for them to go attempt to begin rescue operation. And that yeah. seemed like a really reasonable fear to me because I don't know of a lot of examples that we've seen of the Jem'Hadar like badly crippling a ship and then leaving it alone to drift in space into their territory. I don't know who says it, but someone counters that argument with, well, if there are five of them out there, they could attack us right now. And what would be the difference? Right. At that point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. Martok is, uh, is, extremely reticent to cross into Dominion slash Cardassian space and has been specifically ordered by the High Council not to. So um, he's arguing we're not going to do that. And there are a few beats of argument and like, you know, more cubicle whispering between Dax and Worf about, uh, you know, what are we going to do about this and stuff. And, uh, And eventually... Uh, Worf arrives at the conclusion that the only way to uh, circle this square is to challenge Martok for command of the ship. And uh, rather than do this directly to Martok's face, he goes and takes his seat at the con when Martok is not on the bridge. And uh, he's he's getting ready to do this when the dissident uh, faction of the crew present themselves to him to argue their case. And they're like, Martok is a coward and a piece of shit. And Worf announces, "Hey, we're gonna uh, we're gonna go uh, rescue these guys on this other ship." It's fun that it's Ordekin or Tavana's lover that leads the support faction behind Worf. Yeah, I liked that. And then the and then Martok like almost drunkenly stumbles on. Like I don't know that he's supposed to be drunk, but he he stumbles onto the bridge. Like, what's going on here? Did you think before this fight happened that Worf would kill him? Because Worf has a body count, especially on Klingon ships. We know this. Yeah. He's killed people on Kronosh. He's killed people on other ships. Happens in, all the time. In the coldest of blood. Yeah. And this- I actually saw this. I thought for sure he would kill him. Yeah. But I think that Worf's strategy here was to get this fight going and find a way to make it look good and then lose. The only reason he does that, though, is if he's sure that Martok is playing chess. Yeah. To not know that and to and to possibly die for your guess, I think is insane. I guess that must mean that they really do know each other that well because yeah. of their time in prison together. Yeah, that's the that's the Tovadoke at work. Yeah. Tovadoke. It works. So in this fight, Martok stabs Worf in the chest, and the crew celebrates his 
his great victory. Yeah, they start chanting Martok. Yeah, and for whatever reason, like the celebration of Martok's win here pivots neatly into a newly emboldened Martok who's ready to uh, to save the ship. Well, he's emboldened because they're under attack by a Jemadar ship all of a sudden. And I really wished that the direction the episode had gone was he beats Worf and then is like, now let's go save those boys, you know? Like, yeah. Like the external threat is a bit of a deus ex machina. Yeah, and it's and the way that Dax and Worf slink away from this moment, I think, is like, do they not need a science officer anymore? <laughs> well, they're, they, they take their pause to like, enjoy the fact that everybody's singing a song together but yeah like this further makes the case that Worf and Dax were tourists yeah. on this mission yeah so it appears as though uh, Martok has his groove back yeah <laughs> got that mojo back on Deep Space Nine in Ops Bashir and O'Brien I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien this is fucking spectacular are continuing to complain about the division of Worf's labor when Martok's ship decloaks. Uh, the victory has happened off screen. He's destroyed the tick. He has saved the survivors from the from the Klingon D7. He needs to transport them over for medical attention. The ship needs repairs. But also, you better uh, better make sure that the kegs of blood wine are ready. Because they're ready to party. Yeah. A big W for uh, for Martok. And you don't want to blow a blood wine keg <laughs> if, you've got, uh, if you've got Klingons in your bar. Yeah. It's going to be a bad look. You got to know what you're doing when you tap a, can- a keg of blood, blood wine. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty dangerous. You know that tap is proprietary too and probably really <laughs> sharp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there, a, is there a nitrogen tank that comes with a keg of blood wine? <laughs> The keg of blood wine is like 60 strips of latinum, but uh, but the pump deposit is like 500. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, it's one of those things that like you think is going to be really awesome to have at a party, but you wind up worrying all the way through the party that somebody's going to yeah. break it and you're going to be stuck holding the bag. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> Does Quark charge for the kegs of blood wine where are they getting the blood wine oh yeah who knows he probably has the blood wine concession on deep space nine don't you wish that the klingon restaurant was still open and that cool klingon restaurant tour could be part of this yeah that guy was great yeah wearing his white klingon pajamas yeah the button on the episode takes place in quarks and it is a conversation between marshak and Worf about uh, about family affiliation. The, there was a brief mention when Worf was getting ready to get on board this ship of the fact that he was not wearing his, uh, his, his traditional uh, Miss Klingon sash and specifically the, the sigil of the House of Moog. And Martok suggests, hey, like there's no such thing as the House of Moog, but I would be really delighted if you would wear my logo the logo of the House of Martok. And I think the implication of this is that Worf gets to be, gets to return to honored warrior status if he accepts this. Yeah. 
right? Like, it doesn't seem like he needs to slink around around Klingons anymore if he's in a house in good standing. Well, it definitely means if he pins Martok's... If if Worf puts Martok's pin on his baldric, they're going steady. Yeah. That much we know. <laughs> but this part really made me sad because it's not that the house of Martok pin joins the house of Moog pin on the Baldrick. It's that he replaces the Moog pin with it. Yeah, it's I really sad. I didn't like sad. that at all. It sucks. It's like, it, like... Who remembers it, the house of Moog now? It's certainly not Kern. Who? I'm sorry. I've never heard that name. Right. Like, without Worf keeping that candle lit, that's it, right? Like, house of Moog is dead. And it seems like... It's an easy choice for him, but it seems crazy it that he that just easy. takes the fucking logo off the sash and puts the other logo on. Like, your dad was done wrong, man. If let's let's talk about if you let's answer the question: Did you like the episode? Because now I think it's time to really like. I think so much of whether or not you like the ep is about this final scene. You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. This felt a lot tonally like that ep where Quark sells guns and Dax forgives in the end, like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. I think this is a extremely consequential ending and character defining moment for Worf, and this episode treats it like like it's significant, but not as significant as it actually is. Right, it treats it with the same significance as. The previous episode treats the <laughs> who cares like what goes on with Ferengi, the Ferengi economy, you know? Yeah. What is with this pattern of forgetting the first 40 minutes of an ep? Because for 40 minutes of this ep, Martok was awful and deserved to die for what he was doing. And they, and because everything happened off screen, like the success of what happened with the Rotoran, like, I guess I guess Martok is in good standing again. He's a good captain. He has the love of his crew. I, th- these are assumptions that we make. We we are not given proof of these things. And I guess here's the thing is Worf wagging the story dog by accepting the pin at yeah. the end instead of us being given proof that it is a good decision for him to make by the actions that we see Martok take. Martok is not given to us as an example of a Klingon in whose path you would want to follow yeah. in this episode. And maybe you can get there just by like citing his reputation up until this point. Like he's been talked about as like the the number one general and like Gowron's right-hand man a bunch of times but um but yeah like I really wanted to like this episode and and I think that the end really fumbles the ball on an episode that could have been great. I mean this is a recency bias thing for a character that we know has had a long and distinguished career but like I like generals who don't get caught and thrown in jail and who aren't bad captains. <laughs> That's just my personal opinion, you know? Jesus. <laughs> Give me something to like about Martok at this moment in time. I think that's that's where I'm at. I think he's a, a character in need of 
of redemption of the kind that's a little greater than off screen. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> does he get to come back to the station? Is he back to throwing people off the railing, or does he get to go and gull Ducat his way around the galaxy in his in his bird of prey? I think he's a a, a resident of the station. I don't I don't think that I don't think that this is his ship. I think it was his ship for this mission. It was a loner. Yeah. Huh. He's got to return it with a full tank of gach. <laughs> it can be very expensive if you don't. Oh, yeah. I like to prepay for the gach. I, I know that it's like slightly more expensive than what you pay at the pump, but I just don't want to have to like think about that. It's not like the $9 a gallon that you can get if you don't do that, right? Right, yeah. That's it's, how I, it gets you. I would much rather just return it however it is without without having to like go to the trouble of hitting the gach station on my way back. Well, uh, one part of our show that has a strict no returns policy is our priority one messages. You want to see what we have over there? Yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first one is a, of a promotional nature, I believe. Although the email says it's of a yeah, that's it, weird. It says right? personal message in the in the subject and promotional in the body. So I don't know, but here's the message. It says to the Jim Shimodas, sweating for Kalesh, to the Rascals plotting revenge, to the Plavimo files even. To Shrimp Colgar, to the fourth shift, getting it done, to 1-800-Guinan, to the Pennington School, to Pride of DeSoto, to Jem Hagdar, blaze it, to the Cruisers, to the Bosom, to the Ass Chat, Exocooks, delicious people, to Chill Hangers, to Meme Daddies, to Pets of DeSoto, to Captain's Log, to the Mods, to Daddy Austin, and to Ben, Adam, and Rob's most of all. Happy holidays. I love you all. LLAP. You know what? That message should just replace our end credits to the show. Yeah, that's really... That's that's the tie and tight. Comprehensive there. Yeah. Uh, and the call to action is, happy holidays, hop on Facebook, and get some FOD love, everyone. Yeah. There you go. I mean, maybe the only good thing about Facebook is... Uh, F-O-D love. Is F-O-D love. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Caroline. It's for Ben and Adam. Hey, that's us. Message goes like this. Finally, feeling flush enough to flush 100 scarves. <laughs> just to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for hours upon hours of quote-unquote quality viewing. <laughs> And that's actually $132.55 Canadian scarves. You're welcome. Oh, wow. Canadian scarves are warmer than American scarves. Yeah, I'll tell you true. that much. While I have the floor, is this my camera? I want to know why Ro Laren isn't cast in the Picard series. What a wow. missed opportunity. Thoughts? Damn. Caroline, Caroline uh, doing one of my favorite kinds of personal message. That's the question for the hosts. And I'm with her. I'm with Caroline on this. Uh, Ro is one of my favorite 
I mean, you're gonna... I shouldn't call Ro a minor character, but unfortunately, with the amount of episodes she's in... I mean, kind of true, right? One of my favorite minor characters in TNG is Ro Laren. Yeah, she was a series regular for a few seasons. I... Wouldn't, Michelle Forbes, still like a working actor and awesome. I wouldn't totally discount it, though. Like, yeah. I think that one of the things that's really cool about this series is that it, they've been shooting for months and months now. Yeah. And, like, they are, they are popping surprises every time a, a, new, uh, a new trailer drops. So yeah. I would say... There is nothing that is impossible. And while I think Adam and I both wholeheartedly agree with you, Caroline, that Ensign Rowe, probably now Supreme Admiral Rowe of all she surveys, <laughs> right, uh, should be in this series. Uh, but uh, she, you know, she may be, she may not be, but. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, somebody from inside the pocket is listening. We we found out recently that the uh, that the team behind Discovery has definitely got its uh, its greatest Discovery listeners among it, and so uh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully, the Picard series people are also listening to the greatest Discovery and uh, the greatest generation. I'm looking over Michelle Forbes's uh, film and TVography. She's currently in a show. She's in a series right now called Treadstone, nine episodes in its first season. Oh, shit, really? That's yeah. the Jason Bourne series. Yeah, and I mean, that appears to be in the can, like, and done. Let's see, the last episode of the season comes out December 17th, 2019. So that production has been over for months, and there's nothing on her on her Wikipedia or her IMDb that indicates a TV project after that. So, I mean, there is... There's an opening there. At least schedule-wise. You can't rule it out based on, on her work on something else is what I'm trying yeah. to say. What what has been announced. You can't rule it out based on that. I'm. Uh, there are no bigger fans of Michelle Forbes than me and Ben, so yeah. I hope... I, I hope she makes an appearance. That'd be rad. Is that Treadstone show supposed to be any good? I don't have cable television, so you need the USA Network to watch it, don't you? Oh, man. And that's, uh, that is that. There it goes. I mean, it. I imagine it will eventually be streamable, and that's the moment I will be watching. Because, yeah. uh, we stand for Michelle Forbes. Yeah, we stand Michelle Forbes, and I'm in a, a fan of the Borniverse. Well, thanks, Caroline, for spinning Ben and I off into that tangent. It was fun. <laughs> that was fun. If you'd like to spin us off into a tangent, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, that is a great way to help support the production of this program, no matter what kind of scarves you're dropping on it. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. 
With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a... Drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! For two episodes in a row, I'm going with Cisco. Wow. What is he doing? <laughs> Where has he been? And I guess I'm talking about Avery Brooks here, too. This episode directed by LeVar Burton. I mean, 
if you're LeVar Burton or anyone else, I think you have, uh, you've got to relish the opportunity, opportunity to direct an Avery Brooks. He's barely in this episode and he's barely in the last one. Yeah. It makes me wonder if he's doing something right now in 97. Yeah. Like, is this when American History X came out? Hmm. Like, was he shooting that? I don't know. Was he? 1998 is when American History X came out. So maybe he was working on that. Shit. Anyway, uh, his treatment of Worf in the in his office is just emblematic of a kind of detachment I'm getting from him. Yeah. That uh, that seems very Shimoda esque to me. Hmm. So uh, I'm gonna. I mean. If I give it to him a third time in the next episode, it means I cannot give him a Shimoda in the fourth episode. So we're uh, we're wading into that territory. Yeah, I guess so. What about you, Ben? My drunk Shimoda is whoever at the Klingon Department of Defense decided to give this garbage ship to General Martok. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, I think that a military apparatus needs to anticipate these kinds of issues the the trauma of having been in prison camp martok himself is aware of it right like he talks right. at the beginning of the episode with bashir about how he like needs to get back in fighting shape because being in jail fucked him up in more ways than just emotionally yeah and it seems like th- like if you are the warrior race that knows how to do the the best war, you should you should be able to factor that kind of thinking into uh, the 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 choices you make surrounding staffing and deployment of materiel, and uh, yeah, like like pairing the most broken general with the most broken ship seems like a bad choice. Yeah, not exactly set up for success, right? No, and I wondered what that was about. Like, if Martok was the Pex bad boy of the Klingon world in the way that Nog is on this show, and, like, it was, like, a an ongoing bit to give him, like, the worst shit all the time and expecting him to do okay with it. Right. That would be one thing, but, man, like... Seeing this guy who all we've been told is like he's like the best warrior. He's like the creme de la creme of what Klingons hold most dear, treated like shit. It's it's really like it's hat on head in a weird way, right? Like there's yeah. there's the expectation that he's playing chess when he's not. There's the expectation that he's just being fucked with by Gowron when he's not. It is hard to untangle what we are meant to make of what happens to him in this episode. Yeah. It really is. I, it is a total mystery. Like I can't even guess what's going to happen to him in the next couple seasons. Me neither. But what's going to happen to us in the next episode? That is a great question, Adam. The next episode is season five, episode 22 children of time. Cisco and the Defiant crew must choose between the lives they have always known and the lives of their own descendants. Oh. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Cisco probably is like, uh, you know, I lost my wife. 
probably choose choose the life of my descendants, right? Wow, Cisco sounds like he's gonna be in an episode more than one scene. <laughs> Pretty heavy lift here. That'd be great for him. Well, one choice that we need to make is how we're going to watch that episode. Uh, to know, we must consult the Game of Buttholes, Rule of the Prophets, where currently our runabout is on square 19. Uh, two ahead of that is a space butthole, and a few squares after that is a great big banger. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Roll that bone, Adam. Roll. Did I win? Hardly. Ben, I have rolled a six. Wow. Which has taken us well past both of those obstacles and landed us on square 25. Square 25 is a regular old episode. Wow. And uh, and in close proximity to a Naked Now episode, which would really test our ability to take baths at the same time. Oh, no. Not again. <laughs> God. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You edited that show so well. It it needs to be it needs to, you should be exalted for that, for the work that you did on that show. It was fine. It was it was fun. Uh I hope no one gets that task ever again. <laughs> it was, Especially me. It took a little it took a little fiddling, but but we got there. Um Adam you know what takes no fiddling at all is uh, spreading around the thank yous at the end of an episode of The Greatest Generation. We have so many people to thank. The, other, the people who recommend the show to a friend or a loved one, who, uh, who uh, contribute to the show on a monthly basis, the folks who uh, go on their podcatcher and rate and review the show with five stars and recommend it to strangers all over the world. You know what I did this morning? I realized that I have been a hypocrite, Ben, mm. because I realized that I have not uh, rated or reviewed uh, another podcast like in in like a year or two. It's been a long time. I took five minutes this morning and I opened up my Overcast and I was like, "What are the shows I'm I'm listening to right now?" Picked five of them. I left five reviews. There you go. That's the currency. Like. Like that's that's an easy, fast thing to do, and it's really meaningful for the shows yeah, to accumulate those. Um, you know, like when you start to see, uh, you know, one or two thousand reviews, it seems like oh, like I don't need to pile on here. But like the difference between two thousand reviews and ten thousand reviews is immeasurable, right? And uh, and that happens one review at a time. So if if you are in a position to leave one of those. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, uh, we would really, really appreciate it if you did so. We've always thought that The Greatest Generation was a 2,000 review show with a 10,000 review beauty. So <laughs> so go over there and get us to 10,000. I think we should be a 10,000 review show, Ben. I like that idea. It's not I up like, to me, though. I like it when I hear you say it. <laughs> no matter how many reviews I leave for our shows, uh, it just won't get us to 10,000. I think we had 1,000... Reviews when we had like 5,000 listeners and yeah. now we have like 2,400 reviews or something like that. We have a lot more than 5,000 listeners, guys. Yeah. A lot more than 10. Like, get on it. No Take five minutes. No lazy FODs. Yeah. 
Well, you know who is, uh, who's not a lazy FOD? It's Bill Tilly. He's out there. He's making trading cards. About every episode we make. You can find him on Twitter at BillTilly1973. You know who else is great, Adam, is uh, Adam Ragusea. He makes all of the original music for this show. Of course, based on the original theme song for this show by Dark Materia. Both of those people are very nice to us. And Adam Ragusea now has a smash hit YouTube cooking channel. You just go on YouTube and you search Adam Ragusea or probably White Wine or season my cutting board and uh any of those will probably kick back uh results that will help you learn to cook better that's a t-shirt idea for his youtube channel right yeah season my cutting board and then just an arrow pointing down to the crotch (laughs) (laughs) i do not want anyone to think my crotch is a cutting board yeah yeah does it's a surfboard adam i think a surfboard. I think everyone knows it could use some seasoning, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I'm seasoned, haters give me them salty looks. Mm. You have a, a rhyme for every occasion. Yep. An occasion for every rhyme. Uh, were those all the credits? Yeah, probably. Well, with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine which has to make an awful choice it sounds like between family and friends <laughs> like I know what I would choose <laughs> I think I know what I have chosen <laughs> got to have sanitary conditions maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported